the Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Lucky day, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry. What's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program, old-fashioned radio for a new generation. A social distancing tip. While the CDC urges you to avoid close contact, like hugging or shaking hands, there are other non-physical ways to say hello. Wave, wink, use sign language, salute, smile, give the peace sign, throw up an air high five, do jazz hands. Remember, stay a minimum of six feet or two arms length away from others and stay home if you can. For more info, visit coronavirus.gov. Let's all do our part because we're all hashtag alone together. Brought to you by the Ad Council. This is Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Show. And welcome back, everybody, uh, as we roll into the third half of our three-hour tour known as the Tom Sumner Program. We're going to switch the conversation to uh, COVID-19, although it seems like everybody is talking about COVID-19 all the time anymore. But uh, as we consider the impact on hospitals uh, throughout various uh, peaks and valleys of this uh, pandemic. Uh, one of the things that's uh, interesting to take a look at, and we're going to do that with my guest this hour, is uh, the impact on rural hospitals, um, who by some accounts may have been struggling uh, even before the pandemic. But we're going to get into that and talk some more with the president and co-founder of the Citizens Council for Health Freedom, Twyla Braze, who's been on the show uh, several times. Twyla, welcome back, and thanks for being on the show today. Well, thanks so much, Tom. I'm glad to be here. Um, what? How have you been monitoring what's happening with uh, rural hospitals? Well, I think, you know, it just comes up in, in the news. This hospital, you know, has just gone away. Uh, that hospital has just announced it's closing its doors. That hospital has just said they're no longer going to have an emergency room. You know, those are the kind of news stories that we track to kind of uh, keep an eye out on what's happening to hospitals because I, I think it's really important. Um, one out of every five Americans lives in a rural or small community, so that's a lot of Americans who have the potential here of losing access to their hospital, or at least close access to a hospital. How much does location play a role in whether people will actually go to a hospital or not? Um, well, you know, today with COVID, that's all a different thing. But just in general, um, it, it will keep people away from perhaps, I mean, they'll have to schedule. Like, just imagine you're in... North Dakota, and it's winter, right? If your hospital is 15 minutes away, you might have your elective surgery then. If your hospital is two hours away or three hours away, you're going to wait until it's springtime. But, you know, the, the problem is it's, it's uh, I mean, it's, 
it's not like it's not a problem for elective surgery, but it really becomes problematic with emergencies because emergencies, I'm an emergency room nurse, emergencies are emergent, which means the more time it takes you to get to the doctor and the nurses that you need to handle your uh, condition uh, or your crisis, you know, the more difficult it is for you to actually uh, have it dealt with or have it dealt with in enough time. You know, for some reason, of course, I've always been a city kid, Twyla, and it just always seemed to me that, um, you know, the, the big city hospitals were a destination point for people who lived out away from those those big cities. I never really gave a lot of thought to the fact that there might be local hospitals in smaller towns. Um, how much has rural have rural hospitals played a role in in people's health care? So, um, because, you know, we used to be even more people in the rural areas than we are today. So there are indeed fewer people in the rural areas. Um, but maybe just to give you a, a bigger scheme of things here, when there was the whole move to socialize healthcare in the Clinton era, et cetera, they had this sort of hub and spoke idea for what what hospitals should be and they basically said that hospitals should be either 30 or 60 minutes so there had to be like this um this main hospital and everybody around everybody in the entire country should be able to access care in either 30 or 60 minutes um, or miles it was minutes or miles and so there was this whole hub and spoke um, um scheme you might say um, now, with over the last um, 15 years, 170 rural small community hospitals have closed. And nobody has done really a report on how this has impacted this whole hub-and-spoke plan from before. But I know from talking to different people, and you can see it when a, when a community loses a hospital, when they have to look at the next community or the next largest hospital or wherever it is, right, it's often more than 30 or 60 miles away. For people who are living in the city, they don't think much about it because they've got this hospital and that hospital and this other hospital over here, although their plan may not allow them to go to those other hospitals without paying more. So they've got their, <laughs> that's a different kind of hub and spoke for well, most that of us to do with networks. Most of us saw on television, uh, you know, just, just within the last few weeks, the president being airlifted from the White House a few blocks away, almost literally, uh, to Walter Reed, and and that all happened within a couple of minutes. But it would have been drastically different if uh, that had been an hour flight. Right, and you know, for him, well, we, we, I don't think we'll know. You know what degree of uh, difficulty he was having at the time, but it's not like he was having a heart attack, right? Right. And in a heart attack, it really does make a difference. Um, how quickly you can get to a hospital. Now, the paramedics are great. The, the, the air flights, you know, they, they do a great job, but it's still not the stability and the, all the services that you can find at a hospital. So the sooner you can get your foot in the door of the hospital, the better it is for you medically as a patient. So with all of these um, 
closures of rural hospitals, how much of that is a result of COVID-19? Okay, so that's a really good question because um, the hospital closures are resulting from a lot of federal policy, which has, particularly with the Affordable Care Act, which essentially said nobody can have traditional indemnity policies anymore and everybody's got a health plan. And, of course, every health plan has a network, and networks decide what hospitals you can and cannot go to. And this has caused problems uh, because it has meant that they can't even compete. They can't even compete for patients because the the health plan won't even let patients go to them, even though the patient might be two blocks away, right? So since... 2010, which is the year the Affordable Care Act became law, 130 hospitals have closed. So the Affordable Care Act started this whole trajectory toward the closure of these hospitals because it added all these regulations and rules, really unfunded mandates that a lot of smaller hospitals, they can't deal with it. They don't have the the lawyers. They don't have this whole regulatory staff to, to put all of this stuff into place that the government decides to do, they, they don't have the ability to have the electronic health record, which is a huge unfunded uh, mandate. And if you wonder how, uh, how huge it could be for the Mayo Clinic themselves, they put in a $1.5 billion electronic health record system to that complies with the government's mandate of a certified electronic health record, right? So now we have COVID-19, and a lot of hospitals are uh, either shuttering part of what they do or shuttering completely because a lot of patients decided that they it was too scary to go to the hospital. And many hospitals are sort of like on fumes when it comes to operating uh, because their regulatory expenses are so high and they have to follow all those rules and regulations and stipulations. And then if they have nobody coming through the door then it becomes very, very difficult for them. And indeed, with the the way that the governor shut down um, uh, non-essential care, even though for many patients it was very essential, uh, all of these patients could not come into the door. They couldn't have their surgeries. And this meant that the um, money to do operations at the hospital was severely cut. And so there have definitely been hospitals closing ever since COVID. Well, and that... that impact of uh, COVID has happened throughout the economy, but in particular, it's it's interesting because we, we hear about uh, first-line responders and, you know, we applaud the efforts of doctors and nurses who are, you know, on the front lines of, of trying to battle the pandemic. But at the same time, as you point out, Twyla, governors have been saying, if you have a medical procedure that is not an emergency you should avoid that so that the hospitals can keep up with COVID. Right. Well, that, but there are two little facets of that. One is that the governors said that. And two is that a patient who's having an emergency doesn't always know whether it's an emergency or not. And when they're thinking of all the, of uh, COVID and the hospitals and the possibility that they could get COVID and is this really an emergency? And so they wait. And that has been, that has been reported on that there are lots of people dying at home. There are these unnecessary deaths that have nothing to do with COVID. In, in other words, the person doesn't have COVID, 
but there are uh, more deaths. So New York uh, said that their deaths from cardiac, uh, their cardiac-related deaths are up 400%. Their diabetes uh, deaths are up 300%. So these are the deaths of people who are too afraid to go to the hospital and you know they're trying to judge for themselves is this an emergency or isn't it and they're they're waiting too long and and in some cases they're they're afraid of using resources that would be better used for covid patients or they uh are afraid of catching covid themselves and uh and and they've been encouraged not to go unless it's an emergency and they might not know if it's an emergency or not interesting that's right yeah Yep. And, you know, I have definitely talked to patients whose doctors have essentially shut the door and said, you know, you can do a tele televisit with us, right? And so people I've had a couple feel, of those. Oh, have you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, so people feel like, you know, their, they, their, their resources, their easy access has uh, maybe gone away. Some of them don't want to do telehealth. Some of them, they'd have to go to a place where they could do telehealth. Because it's it's not just set up right there from their computer. It sort of depends on you know who your doctor is and what the you know capacity is. But they certainly could do that, but not all of them do. Well, and not everybody knows or understands the technology involved. No, or they don't have it. I mean, at we home. we saw a lot of business people going through a huge learning curve trying to get that Zoom meeting thing down. Right. And the other thing is that people are not always comfortable, you know, talking online about whatever it is that is bothering them, right? They, they're not exactly sure where that data is going, if it's being recorded, if anybody is intercepting, you know, it's sort of like Google. A lot of people are really worried about what Google collects in, through Gmail because they are collecting data through Gmail accounts. And so a lot of people are not really comfortable with this idea of bringing their most personal and private problems online. Um, Twyla, I have to take a uh, break here in about a minute and a half, and I'm hoping that you'll be able to stand by for about four minutes and and we can talk some more about this. Um, sure. The, uh, we're, I'm, I'm talking with Twyla Braze, who is the president and co-founder of the Citizens Council for Health Freedom, and uh, we're talking about the impact of COVID on hospitals, and specifically rural hospitals. And we're going to talk about that some more when we come back. If you're listening to us on WFOV 92.1 FM, Our Voices Radio in Flint, they are a broadcast service of the Flint Odyssey House Spectacle Productions and my good friend Paul Herring. We're going to let them squeeze a few words in edgewise. Uh, if you're uh, or do whatever they do when we go to break if you're streaming us at tomsumnerprogram.com we have some messages as well Uh, and don't forget coming up tomorrow it's uh, Wednesday armchair politics every Wednesday from 10 until noon or the second and third hour of our three-hour tour in the first hour I'm going to be talking about with uh, two of the candidates for the Michigan Supreme Court the Chief Justice, uh, Bridget Mary McCormick, who's running for re-election, and an attorney, uh, Elizabeth Welch, who is uh, running for the first time for a seat on the state Supreme Court here in Michigan. Anyway, we'll be right back after this. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. 
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Tom Sumner Program has hosted live candidate forums for local, state, and national offices at bars, restaurants, coffee shops, and colleges. Armchair Politics has gone to Lansing, Frankenmuth, Birch Run, and Hell. Michigan, that is. We've done shows all the way to the Mighty Mac and back to the Briggs. We've done remotes from a baseball stadium in Lansing, a grocery store opening in Flint, and from a moving train. We'd like you to tell us where to go next. You can write us at TomSumnerProgram.com. Call us at at 810-339-8255 or contact us on Facebook or Twitter. This is your chance to tell the Tom Sumner program where to go. Imagine a journey down a picturesque river. Imagine your Flint River, 142 miles of recreation, natural beauty, and precious resources. The Flint River is a vital resource that is available for all to use and enjoy. The river and its ecosystem provide unlimited recreational opportunities and natural beauty while supporting wildlife in a vibrant landscape. We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. How do you do, ladies and gentlemen? This is Bob Hope back once again to tell you it's better to have Pepsodin flowing over your teeth now than to have water running under your bridge later. Have you lost your job and your health care coverage due to COVID-19? You're not alone, and Genesee Health Plan can help. I called, and they provided health care enrollment over the phone with Medicaid, HealthCare.gov, and Genesee Health Plan. They made sure I had access to doctor visits, my prescriptions, and more. Getting health care coverage can be confusing. You don't have to do it alone. Get help with GHP. Call 844-232-7740 or go to GeneseeHealthPlan.org. We're in this together, and together we'll get through it. The Tom Sumner 
Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to Tom Sumner Program. And welcome back, everybody. We continue uh, our conversation about the impact of COVID-19 on rural hospitals with the president and co-founder of the Citizens Council for Health Freedom, and uh, that's located in, uh, in in Minnesota. Is it uh, uh, anyway? Twyla Brace is my guest. Uh, Twyla, welcome back, and thanks for sticking around. Oh, not a problem. Glad glad to be hanging out. Um, Twyla, is that in uh, Minneapolis or Rochester? Oh, it is in the capital city, which is St. Paul, but we are a national organization. But we are located sort of in this medical mecca of Minnesota, so we get a lot of information both from the state and the federal level right here. And, you know, for most of us, Minneapolis and St. Paul are the same city. <laughs> yeah. Yep, but not for everybody who lives here. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. It, it makes a big difference the closer you get. Um but uh, but but let me ask this: We've been talking a little bit about uh, COVID and, and hospitals, but um, were rural hospitals already suffering, and and COVID came along and and became sort of the the final nail in the coffin for some of these hospitals? Yes, yes. So the whole consolidation that has been happening, both through Medicare and the advance of health plans in Medicare, a lot of people know that as Medicare Advantage or Medicare Advantage PPO. Um, that is the creation of these health plans, which have networks, and then they limit who's in the network, what what hospitals are in the network, what healthcare systems are in the network. So they limit it. So as Medicare uh, advanced managed care or these uh, Medicare Advantage health plans, that started the consolidation plus the consolidation that happened under the Affordable Care Act, which says that all Americans have to have a qualified health plan. And they can't have a traditional go anywhere that you want to go kind of a health insurance plan. They're limited to the network. So as this all started to roll across the country, the hospital industry consolidated. And as a matter of fact, I think what a lot of people don't understand is that health plans, you know, like um, United Healthcare or um, Aetna or Blue Cross Blue Shield, they're, they're buying hospitals. So health plans are buying hospitals and hospitals are buying health plans and hospitals and health plans are buying physician clinics. And so there is this massive consolidation that's happening across the country. And when this happens, the smaller hospitals can't compete. They're not let into the network or they are purchased by uh, the bigger system. And sometimes that bigger system either shuts them down or only lets them do certain services. Like maybe they can do OBGYN, but they're not allowed to do uh, cancer or, you know, something like that. They're, they're more limited in scope. And so that has been happening sort of, you know, uh, under the radar for a lot of people, unless you're one who's going to the hospital or needs the hospital, and you suddenly realize that the services you thought were available in the hospital next door are not, or the hospital that used to be next door that you really could use being next door now is two hours away. You know, I, I mentioned that I was... Uh you know, a city kid. So I've always been, you know, in an environment where there was a hospital within 10 or 15 minutes in just about every direction. Um, 
but for rural communities, how are hospitals funded, and, and why is it that that local communities can't maintain a hospital um, for the convenience of, of having access that close by? So whether you are a small hospital or whether you are a large hospital, the federal regulations controlling every hospital that receives any Medicare dollars or even the OSHA regulations, all those regulations are virtually the same no matter how small or big you are. Now, when you're smaller, you have less, particularly in a rural community, you have less patients coming in the door, you have less money therefore coming in the door, and you have less capacity to deal with this uh, regulatory bureaucratic overlay that is required at the federal and the state level to get a Medicaid dollar or a Medicare dollar or now an Obamacare dollar. So all of them require you to follow all these regulations if you're going to get a dime. And that just makes it much more difficult for these smaller hospitals. Now, smaller hospitals uh, sometimes uh, get a critical access hospital um, tag from the federal government, which makes it a little easier for them to operate and to stay open in some of these smaller communities. But sometimes even that is not enough extra money or reduced regulations. And then the smaller hospitals try as well, as do the larger hospitals, to get people to contribute to them charitably. So a lot of hospitals are considered nonprofits and or tax exempt, and so they can ask for charitable contributions and often do. And as a matter of fact, the HIPAA, you know, the so-called privacy rule, uh, does allow some um, fundraising, some fundraising, uh, by the hospitals in order to help them keep their doors open. What should is is what is the fix for this? Because obviously we need to have medical care as close to people as we can get it. Um, what's what's the fix for this? Is it uh, um, a systemic problem? Yes. So this is the systemic problem. Really, if if you in order to know what the fix for this is, you have to see you know, where you have to really pinpoint the problem. And the, and the if, all you have to do is look in the past, right? In the past, long time ago, before Medicare, uh, hospital bills were paid in cash. Now, there's a lot of services today that weren't there. There's a lot of technology today that weren't there. There's drugs that weren't there back at that time. But in a more cash economy, the costs um, more mimic what people can pay or what traditional insurance companies can pay. So there are several things here. One is just looking at how much the government has gotten into uh, medicine and into healthcare and how much that adds to the, the cost, un unnecessarily adds to the cost through regulations and controls and data reporting and, and all of that, all the legal things that happen with that. So so one is just getting the government more out of healthcare. Um, but, uh, but another one is, well, another one has to do with the government as well is having to do with the electronic health record mandate, that, this unfunded mandate that every hospital has to have an electronic health record that is certified by the federal government to do what the federal government wants it to do, not what the patient 
uh, needs or the doctor wants it to do. So this huge cost was uh, led to a lot of um, clinics and a lot of hospitals shutting their doors because there was no way that they could pay for this unfunded mandate. And unlike paper records, right, which require paper and a pencil <laughs> or a pen, rather, um, um, the updates to the electronic systems, the cybersecurity protocols, the technicians that they need when, when the whole system goes down, the hackers that have now gotten into the systems and uh, with ransomware programs and have required hospitals or clinics to pay money to get all of their data back. All of that has just made it really impossible. So to take away the electronic health record mandate, to move towards real insurance, real insurance, which is the indemnity policy. And people forget what this is like, but the looks around the region and says, this is the average and the reasonable cost for that procedure, for that treatment for cancer, for the entire cancer regimen for this. This is the sum total of what we're going to pay. And then the hospitals would align their prices to what the traditional insurance company would pay. And sometimes the patient could actually find a hospital that charged less, and the patient would be able to keep that extra money. Sometimes like what happens when you know somebody hits your car and you decide, you know, I'm not going to fix it. I'm just going to keep the money myself. Because the only obligation for the insurance company is to pay you. And then you pay the doctor in the hospital. And we don't have this third-party uh, intermediary called the health plan who decides they're going to tell you what hospitals you can go to. They're going to tell the hospital what they will pay the hospital, and the hospital has nothing to say about it if they want to be in the network. So these are the things, going back to traditional insurance, getting rid of the electronic health record mandate, and moving Medicare and Medicaid to being a more of a cash-based uh, um, practice or a cash-based policy that will really have the hospitals uh, accountable and will take the health plans out of the mix because that's who's really added to the cost of care and made this all unaffordable. How is that different than, um, or, or how does that compare to what uh, some people are, are talking about with regard to a um, single-payer plan? So what a single-payer plan does, and I think that... Uh, we're maybe in stages. Those who want single payer in this country, like uh, Ted Kennedy did, uh, President Truman did, all of that, you know, this has been sort of a process to try to get us to single payer. And the first part of that process was to give us Medicare, which is even though Medicare patients pay something for this, it's still a single payer uh, program for the elderly in this country because once you hit 65, if you want your Social Security benefits, you have to enter into Medicare and you have to pay uh, the price of Medicare B and Medicare D. Now, Medicare A, which is hospitalization, you get. That's single payer. You're not paying anything for Medicare Part A, but Medicare Part A hospitalization isn't actually even insurance because after a certain number of days, it goes away. Patients don't realize this. It goes away. You don't have any more hospital days that Medicare covers. So um, so that's the single-payer program. And then once they gave seniors free access to care, the, the prices skyrocketed, the use skyrocketed, and then Ted Kennedy, who, wants, who wanted single-payer for this country, brought in the HMO Act, 
And so the HMO Act really centralized dollars, data, and decisions all in the HMO, which we now call a health plan. So he put into place a corporate version of socialized medicine. And so today with the Affordable Care Act, which told forced everybody into a health plan, unless you're in a health sharing organization, and then with Medicare that is moving more and more and more people into health plans, we are moving in this country towards a single-payer version of health care that looks like a health plan. And the health plans will be in collaboration with the government, running it for the government. Now, that's one version of single-payer. The other version is that we get rid of the health plans and the government runs the whole thing. So that's, that's kind of how this all kind of looks. At, a lot of people don't really realize we have today a corporate version of socialized medicine, the centralization of dollars, data, and decisions in the health plan. And so if you talk to your doctor about what your doctor wants to do for you, your doctor will look at the electronic health record, will look at the list of options given to the doctor, and will probably pick from that list maybe then what is actually best for you, which is not in the electronic health record because it's the decisions have been centralized through the electronic health record to limit patient access to care and to limit the ability of the doctor to give you what the doctor might deem best for you. How does the Affordable Care Act impact what, uh, what is happening with um, these, these rural hospitals? And what should we be doing instead, I guess, is where I really want to go with this. Okay, so the Affordable Care Act, so just for your listeners, 2,700 pages plus a stack that is eight feet high or more already um, of regulations that are three-column, tiny font. Um, so this is a huge uh, law with a huge uh, battalion of regulations that has limited, uh, well, it has increased regulations on all the hospitals, making it more difficult to operate. And, um, and then it has created something called an accountable care organization, which um, is, some people have said that's an HMO on steroids. And so just to explain it really simply, because the Affordable Care Act is moving the entire hospital healthcare insurance industry into these ACOs, accountable care organizations. There are more than 500 of them across the country as a result of the Affordable Care Act. And what it really does is it transfers the insurance function away from health plans onto hospitals. And the hospitals become uh, an umbrella organization of a sort, and they either contract with or employ the doctors and the government says, if you, the ACO, hospitals and, and uh, clinics, if you save us, the government, money, we will give you a part of that savings. So the Affordable Care Act calls this the Shared Savings Medicare Program. So if the hospital and the doctors all together save the government money, they will get a part of that savings. This puts the hospital and the doctor in an adversarial relationship with the patient. And it also consolidates everything, the entire healthcare industry, into fewer and fewer hospitals and fewer and fewer independent physicians, making it much more difficult for patients to find someone who is 
totally their advocate uh, and not somebody who will possibly ration their care in order to get part of that savings back as the hospital. And now when you ask, well, you know, what should we do? This is really all about bringing back freedom and getting rid of government. That's really the answer to getting people access to the care that they need, proximity to the care that they need, um, patient-centeredness to the care that they need, and affordability. It is all of these third parties, whether it's the ACO now that has really taken the place of the insurance company, whether it's the insurance or the health plan, uh, whether it's the government, all of these third parties that are making money off the patient and the doctor and the government uh, that are really the cause of all of the problems that the patients are experiencing. We we keep hearing, um, because of the presidential election, which, uh, um, well, the counting begins a week from today, um, we hear former Vice President Biden, who was part of the Obama administration and, and played a role to some degree in the passage of the Affordable Care Act, which came to be known as Obamacare. And he says that, that fixing that is, is the right approach. And uh, the president, um, Donald Trump, has advocated for its abolition but has been remiss in, in saying what he would do instead, although he's going to keep all the best parts. Um, how do people make any sense out of this, Twyla? Um, what what can people do to influence the decision makers to put together something that that works and makes sense? So, because there is in general, because healthcare is so um, complex, and it's that way because of all the third parties and because of the government being in it. The government is more than fifty percent in. Uh, in healthcare, and so it is this huge controlling elephant in the room, as it were. And most people, you know, they they don't even know what to think about it, right? And so we have really an uninformed, uninformed public. But the public, the best, first of all, Biden can't fix Obamacare. You can't fix something that's bad. You can't fix a socialized medicine program if you want freedom and if you want patient choice and if you want individualized patient care. You can't fix Obamacare. And even for Trump, there's really nothing that should be kept in uh, the Affordable Care Act. There's nothing I would keep in the Affordable Care Act. I can't, I can't think of, okay, there's one thing. <laughs> I would keep the protection for health-sharing organizations that's in there. That's the only thing, and you don't even need that. You, you can get rid of the whole kit and caboodle, and just they're just protected all on their own. So there's nothing to keep, and there's nothing to fix. There's really all about going back to freedom and really Medicare. Like one of the freedom things that we're doing is trying to give people the right to opt out of Medicare, which will create a market for seniors for private coverage. And we want it to be indemnity coverage to the end of their life so that there is a thriving market that they can choose from. And there's not the rationing machine that Medicare is becoming. Uh, because there are so many people entering, 10,000 people a day are entering Medicare 
and Medicare is in a hole and getting worse. There is less money coming into Medicare every day than there is going out of Medicare. It is about to hit a structural disaster. The, you know, and so and so the rationing is happening because of the health plans and the rationing is happening because there's insufficient money to pay. And when you are most vulnerable and cannot protect yourself when you're sick, when you're injured, your life can be rationed away. And so the best thing to do is to give people traditional indemnity insurance that is required to pay you, the patient, and then you pay the hospital and you pay the doctor. This is the way to get back to affordability. This is the way to get back to access to any place that you want. It's the way to build up hospitals and clinics again around in neighborhoods because it's not about government regulations. It's about personal choice, personal money. Uh, That's where we have to go to. That's where we used to be when everything really worked. It was when uh, Medicare came in, uh, which was a uh, Democrat program, and then when Um, the HMO Act came in, and now with Obamacare. So we have continually gone towards socialized medicine in this country, which is hurting patients, and we must go back to freedom. We've just got a couple of minutes left, Twyla, and I, I always ask guests to share with listeners some some resources where they can find out more about what we're talking about this whole subject of health care and insurance is is something that you know just causes people's eyes to glaze over it just seems so complicated but but yet people need to get involved and need to get informed where can they do that so there are several places that we have and i hope your people have pens or pencils in hand and are ready to write down these um, links. So for patients dealing with difficulties in the hospital, in the first place, go to patienttoolbox.org, patienttoolbox.org. And while you're there, you can click on the coronavirus um, drawer of, if you want to know what we're doing with, the, with COVID-19 because we're doing a lot. we got a face freedom campaign, facefreedom.org. And, and you can go there and find resources, find our, our great illustrations showing you how masks don't work. We, can, we got all this kind of stuff there, patienttoolbox.org. If you want to uh, find out about healthcare in general, go to cchfreedom.org, cchfreedom.org. You can sign up for what we send out every Wednesday for alerts. You can look at our most recent annual event, which is online. Uh, you can find all sorts of other resources. And then there's my book about uh, the electronic health record and how it's controlling what doctors can and cannot do for patients. And you can find that at bigbrotherinthexamroom.org. Bigbrotherinthexamroom.org. Nope. Well, Twyla, I think it's .com. <laughs> well, Twyla, thanks so much for uh, all the work that you do keeping track of this stuff. Uh, it's... Um, it, it always seems way over my head until I talk to you, and you seem to have such a great grasp of it. And thank you for sharing the, the information with uh, me and my listeners um, from time to time. I appreciate it very much. I'm so glad you asked. Thank you, Tom. Take care, Twyla. That was Twyla Brace. She is the uh, president and co-founder of Citizens Council for Health Freedom. We'll have uh, the final segment of today's edition of the Tom Sumner Program right after this. 
Hey, <laughs> this is the Unknown Comic, and guess what? You're listening to the Tom Sumner Show right now, and now, and now too, and even now. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. Take the following everyday steps to help avoid the spread of all respiratory viruses. Wash your hands often with soap and water for at least 20 seconds. Cover your cough or sneeze with a tissue. Throw the tissue away and then wash your hands. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Clean and disinfect frequently touched objects or surfaces, such as remote controls and doorknobs. Avoid close contact with people who are sick. And stay home if you are sick. Call your health care provider if you develop fever, cough, or difficulty breathing. For more tips, visit cdc.gov. They say singing can help you remember things, so here's some tips for parents out there during these tough times. Number one. Make sure your kids wash their hands for 20 seconds after they've coughed or sneezed or been outside. Two. Virtual play dates. Social and physical distancing can help save lives. Three. Tell them they're safe and show your love and pride. Yes, we'll get through this together. Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. Tom Sumner Program is hosted live candidate forums for local, state, and national offices at bars, restaurants, coffee shops, and colleges. Armchair Politics has gone to Lansing, Frankenmuth, Birch Run, and Hell, Michigan, that is. We've done shows all the way to the Mighty Mac and back to the Briggs. We've done remotes from a baseball stadium in Lansing, a grocery store opening in Flint, and from a moving train. We'd like you to tell us where to go next. You can write us at TomSumnerProgram.com, call us at at 810-339-8255 or contact us on Facebook or Twitter. This is your chance to tell the Tom Sumner program where to go. Do you have feelings of inadequacy? Do you suffer from shyness? Do you sometimes wish you were more assertive? If you answered yes to any of these questions, ask your doctor or pharmacist about tequila. Tequila is the safe, natural way to feel better and more confident about yourself and your actions. Tequila can help ease you out of your shyness and let you tell the world that you're ready and willing to do just about anything. You'll notice the benefits of tequila almost immediately. And with a regimen of regular doses, you can overcome any obstacles that prevent you from living the life you want to live. Shyness and awkwardness will be a thing of the past, and you'll discover many talents you never knew you had. Stop hiding and start living with tequila. Tequila may not be right for everyone. Women who are pregnant or nursing should not use tequila. However, women who wouldn't mind nursing or becoming pregnant are encouraged to try it. Side effects may include dizziness, nausea, vomiting, incarceration, erotic lustfulness, loss of motor control, loss of clothing, loss of money, loss of virginity, delusions of grandeur, table dancing, headache, dehydration, dry mouth, and a desire to sing karaoke and play all night rounds of strip poker, truth or dare, and naked twister. Warning, the consumption of alcohol may make you think you're whispering when you're not. Is a major factor in dancing like a retard. May cause you to tell your friends over and over again that you're in love with them. Also may cause you to think you can sing. Alcohol may lead you to believe that ex-lovers are really dying for you to telephone them at four in the morning. Alcohol may make you think you can logically converse with members of the opposite sex without spitting. It may create the illusion that you are tougher, smarter, faster, and better looking than most people. And it may lead you to think people are laughing with you. 
alcohol may cause pregnancy, and it also may be a major factor in getting your ass kicked. So what are you waiting for? Stop hiding and start living with tequila. Tequila! I get the uneasy feeling Rod Serling is behind one of those doors. Rod Serling. Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone. All right. Oh, but Jethro's right at home in the Twilight Zone. I'm in the Twilight Zone. Now, having made this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone, I got a feeling something strange is about to happen. In the Twilight Zone. Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. Headaches, headaches, aspirin commercials give me headaches, just when I'm feeling chipper as you please. That's when they show me all my sinus cavities. Headaches, headaches. Those sponsors don't care how my head aches. See that announcer, he looks so fine. His head should ache like mine. Once and then they say again Oh, tension, pressure, pain Oh, tension, pressure, pain Headaches, headaches Those sponsors love it when my head aches Mother, don't hand me those pills from the shelf I'd rather do it myself This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program. Hey, on behalf of Detroit.
Hey. We want to present these buffs to our governor, hey. Big Grits. Hey. Throw the buffs on their face, because that's Big Grits. We ain't even about to stress. We got Big Grits. Woo. You can find her in the press. Under Big Grits. Fresh in a new dress. Yeah, that's Big Grits. Throw the buffs on her face, because that's Big Grits. We ain't even about to stress. We got Big Grits. At all. You can find her in the press. Under Big Grits. Fresh in a new dress. Yeah, that's Big Grits. Come on. Big Grits and this bitch playing no roles. At Excuse all. all the cussing. That's just how I get my flow on. For real. If you want to leave the state, you can stay gone. But right now, Big Grits said stay home. All that protesting was irrelevant. Big Grits ain't trying to hear y'all or the president. How we gonna take orders from a non-resident? Talking about it safe, but he ain't coming with the evidence. Big Grits got him shook now. When it's all over, you invited to the cookout. When it's all over, you deserve to get took out. Big Grits with the bucks on on the lookout. And she doing it for Michigan, so when she hit the stand, everybody should be listening. She on that pair of bucks with the ice and them glistening. On behalf of the whole Detroit mission. Throw the buffs on her face, cause that's Big Grits. We ain't even about to stress. We got Big Grits. At all. You can find her in the press. Under Big Grits. Fresh in a new dress. Yeah, that's Big Grits. Big Throw the buffs on her face, cause that's Big Grits. We ain't even about to stress. We got Big Grits. At all. You can find her in the press. Under Big Grits. Fresh in a new dress. Yeah, that's Big Grits. Big Watch 
on this heart of mine. I keep my eyes wide open all the time. I keep the ends out for the tie that binds. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, and you're celebrating Schlocktober with Tom Sumner. Old Fashioned Radio for a new generation. Tom Sumner. Program.com The Tom Sumner Program.com The Tom Sumner Program.com Well, that wraps it up for today's edition of the Tom Sumner Program. And, of course, that was uh, Mr. Spock, a.k.a. the late, great Leonard Nimoy, uh, doing Johnny Cash. And it seemed only fitting that that should be part of Schlocktober 2020. That's new, by the way, for uh, Schlocktober 2020, um, as was uh, the song we heard from William Shatner yesterday, Bohemian Rhapsody from Queen in uh, Tomorrow, maybe we'll revisit uh, Granny Clampett singing the blues as we uh, present more of the uh, new offerings for Schlocktober 2020. And uh, also, on uh, tomorrow's show, we're going to have the uh, two, two of the seven candidates that are running for the Michigan Supreme Court. Chief Justice uh, Bridget Mary McCormick and uh, also uh, a newcomer, Elizabeth Welch in uh, We'll, we'll get into that, and that'll be followed, of course, by our weekly political roundtable, Armchair Politics. If it's Wednesday, it's Armchair Politics. Thanks to the guests who are on the show today, starting with this uh, past hour with Twyla Braze from the uh, Citizens Council for Health Freedom. And uh, before that, we uh, had a chance to talk with um, Jeff Fernandez, Vice President for uh, Retail West, um, involving Medicare for Humana and uh, then a very interesting uh, conversation, fun conversation with uh, Jeffrey S. Stevens, the author of a new book called Crimes and Passion. It is uh, a new series um, with new characters uh, after his uh, successful Jordan Sandor espionage thrillers. Anyway, that's smoking George Winters tickling the ivories. Let me know it's time to head on down the Hall to the living room. So uh, we'll meet you back here tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock. Good night, everybody. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show. We want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions. Most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the Flint area. Many of the pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and Pencil Sketch Recording in Nashville, Tennessee. 
If you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, find us on Facebook. This is Prue Clearwater. Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner Program. And thanks for listening.